following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Now, this is the point in our service where I get to introduce our speaker today. Um, Barb Eisman Bushart will be speaking with us today, and she is one of the pastors at the Community of the Savior. So, welcome, Barb. Would you stand with me and we'll read the gospel passage. This is the gospel according to John, starting at um, the beginning of chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, made supper with him, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put into it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always, but me you do not have with you always. The word of Jesus. May you be seated here. It's always interesting to come into a church where people um, are not familiar with you. Do you ever wonder who's that person standing up there and what gives them the right to be here? I don't know. <laughs> it's a grace that I'm here. It's a grace that I was asked. But I always wonder... What is this person standing here when I see a guest speaker? And so I just want to give you just a little bit of a personal testimony so that as I preach, what I'm preaching about makes sense to you in terms of my own personal experience. Um, I'm older. Like, when you get past 50, I started saying middle age, and my daughter said, yes, Mom, I know so many people that are 100. (laughs) But um, I didn't let the middle-aged thing be used until my 50th birthday. So for a couple of years, I've been middle-aged, um, or, or longer if you talk to my children. <laughs> um, I just felt a pull on my heart for a long, long time to minister to God's people, to be a servant to God's people. And I was in a denomination that didn't necessarily believed that that was part of a woman's call. And so I went to school for social work, thinking that if I did social work, that ministry to the poor and to the needy and to the hurting, that would just fill that void in my life. And it was a wonderful experience. And I taught social work at Roberts for eight years. I teach social work part-time as a bivocational kind of Um, life and ministry at Empire State College but something wouldn't go away 
that you're still supposed to be there to support the people of God. And so a few years ago, I went back to seminary, and I got my MDiv and started doing ministry. And something inside of me was released that was pent up a long time. And so um, I just want you to know, regardless of your age, if you feel a call on your heart, answer that call as God puts it there. So that's a little bit of who I am. Um, Another portion of who I am is a late deafened adult, meaning that um, I went through college as a performance music major, vocal performance, and the year after I graduated from college, I started going deaf. And over the next few years, I lost my hearing. I tell you that for a couple of reasons. It was a significant change in my life and the voice of God became so much clearer for me in my silence than it had been for me in my hearing that God used it in my life. The other reason I tell people that is because when you're speaking to me, if it doesn't make sense I have a really good excuse okay? (laughs) because I have a cochlear implant now but I still lip read for part of it and so and maybe you've heard this, but things like, what are your plans, looks exactly like, what are your plants? You know? <laughs> you, and um, stand in front of a mirror and do maybe, baby, and pay me. And they're all the same. So that's just a little bit about who this person is standing here. I'm here by the grace of God. And because he poured his spirit into my life, in ways beyond um, what I deserved, way beyond, and in ways that still keep growing. When I looked at these passages, Scott asked me which, you know, which passage I was going to speak on, and I said, you know what? I can't narrow it down because each passage had something in it to me that just seemed like it was part of the Lenten journey. And Lent, as you know, is 40 days And it's patterned after that time that Jesus was put into the wilderness and tempted and had to endure Satan, trying to undo him, trying to get him to take shortcuts instead of going toward the cross and toward our salvation. And so um, these passages all say something to me of what it's like to be in the wilderness. Um, They're both, the Isaiah passage and the passage from Psalms, is when the people came back from from the Babylonian captivity. And the first bunch of them came back, but the rest of them were not back yet. And so there was this like, yay, uh, but it's not finished because we're not all here yet. I don't know this shapes, but it does here, okay? I'll be more careful. (laughs) But they, you know, our mouth was filled with praise and singing and laughter. And there's this sense of, like, are we dreaming? Are we really back home? And yet the very next portion of that goes into this, oh, that the captivity from the South would be released, because they're not all home yet. It's partly answered and partly waiting for an answer. And the Isaiah passage is the same kind of feeling. God is saying, don't keep looking to the past. Don't get bogged down there. I'm doing something new. 
It's coming. It's coming. But it's not there yet. And even Paul, in the Philippian passage, is saying, I'm straining forward until I attain what God has planned for me. And to me, that is exactly what Lent is all about. It is just as Advent is kind of a season where you, you have part of the answer, Christ has come as a baby, but you keep waiting. When will that be fulfilled? When will he come again? And we see the rest of that story. And Lent is the same kind of thing. We have this leaning forward in waiting for what is yet to be. And the reason that wilderness sticks in my mind right now is because I would say that our family has been in a period of wilderness. And um, over the last year, more than a year, there have just been a lot of challenging things in our lives. And my husband has said, what do you think we're learning from this? Or what are we supposed to be gaining from this? What is God doing? Um, Health problems with our children, health problems with um, our mothers, and my mother recently passed away. So um, lots and lots of things in our lives. And then added to those big things, there have been just a lot of weird little things. And this is an example. I'm not saying that this so you feel sorry for me. But I'm saying I'm in a wilderness in a little bit right now. And I bet some of you are too. Um, my husband had a car accident. Not an accident where he was hurt. But an accident where he really banged the back of the car up. And it had to go to the shop, body shop and be worked on. So while it was being worked on, he drove my car. And seeing that I'd been really busy in this time of a lot of stresses in our family, he noticed that my oil, the date on it, was past the date it's supposed to be, you know, changed. So he was like, I'll do her a favor. It, this does not end well, but we'll <laughs> He's like, I'll take it to the garage for her. So he took it to the garage, and, you know, they lift that up on the, the big lift and get under it and do the oil. It fell. And it pretty much totaled my car in the garage. <laughs> okay. And so my husband, this woman was sitting next to my husband waiting for her car too, and the whole garage was like, boom, you know, with the noise. And everybody jumped, and she looked at my husband and said, that was your car. My husband said, of course it was. <laughs> so it's just been a season for me. And these passages are rich to me. I don't know what your wilderness season is, or maybe just there's um, a portion of your life where you're waiting. You're waiting for a return of good fortune, like we read in the Psalms, or you're waiting for someone to come back to you, a relationship, um, someone that you're waiting for them to see the goodness of the Lord and come to that. Or maybe it's a return of health. Or maybe it's the return of health for someone you know, or emotional health. But I will guarantee, if I asked for a show of hands, that everyone here has something that is not yet. Something that is in process by the Spirit of God, by his work, by his will, but that is not yet realized. And so I love these passages. Um, You know, sometimes if you get out a family album, 
you're looking through things and all of a sudden you pick up one picture like, that's a great picture of Aunt Mary and Aunt Mary isn't usually very full. much luck lately you probably <laughs> you can probably see that now <laughs> okay but all of these pictures that I'm going to talk about today are like great pictures of Aunt Mary great pictures of God's grace in the midst of whatever captivity in the midst of whatever wilderness experience you're going through they're a picture of like in spite of that look at what a great picture of God's grace that is Um, As Paul Harvey said, we're like waiting for the rest of the story. We're waiting for the rest of the story to happen in our personal lives. We're waiting for the rest of the story to happen in our communal life as a church. We're waiting for the rest of the story to happen in society, where when you turn on the news, you never hear something like Newtown, Connecticut, or West Webster. We're waiting, and we're waiting. And God, in his cosmic plan, is working a plan of restoration. Um, We spoke, or I spoke just a minute ago, about how the Babylonian captivity, like the door, was open, and some were home. And they were just so happy to be home. Some of us may be at that place. Maybe some of us are like, am I dreaming? Life is good right now. And yet even those that are in that place don't have the full story. We still have the news. We still have the newspaper. We still have things that we're waiting for. Um, I think that the part of that, the psalm that speaks to me, is when tears are turned to joy or when you sow seeds with weeping, and you reap a harvest of joy. Sometimes, and I don't like this, but sometimes that psalm has been used to be talking about evangelism, like get out there and spread the word, and you'll reap a harvest of believers. And I think that's true, but I don't think that's the only thing. I think that sometimes sowing seeds in tears is trusting when you can't see the very next step in front of you. Or coming together and just sitting here is a prayer to God. It's a sign of faith that even though you don't know what the answer is, you're here. And you're kind of pressing forward, like Paul talks about, leaning forward. Just your posture to come to church and sit there means that you're waiting on God for something. And all of us are waiting in some ways. So that um, sowing seeds is not just evangelism. That should be part of our lives for sure because there's a world that needs to know that there's hope coming, that we're not stuck in weeping. But it's more than that. It's believing when believing is hard. It is going forward when you feel like, I should just step out of life a while and sit back here. All of those things 
are important to God. And then the Isaiah passage, the picture I get of Aunt Mary from this, or a picture of a good God from this, is that it begins again with returning. It's still about the same passage. It's still about um, the Babylonian captivity. But in this passage, um, God says that he's going to make a way, just like he made a way through the waters for the children coming out of Egypt. He'd proven himself that he can make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. And he said, just like I made a way in the waters, I can make a way in the wilderness for you. And he'll do it again. And he promises to do it again. And he says, don't get stuck with thinking he's not going to be able to do it. But remember, he did it once, and he's going to do it again. And think about what's coming instead of getting trapped in captivity for what you're in. And I think that's part of captivity. There's a physical sense of captivity, and and at least with the Babylonian captivity, we see that. But captivity comes in many forms. It comes in fear, being captive to fear. It comes in anxiety, being captive to worries and not being able to see past the worries. It comes with otters in the wilderness, he says, rivers in the desert, drink for my people, the people that I formed for myself, that they can show forth my praise. There's something good coming, even though we've only tasted a little bit of it, and even though captivity is still part of the reality of our lives, there's something coming that's good. And I love Paul's passage in the Philippian um, passage that we read, that he is pressing on because he wants to know the power of the resurrection. What's he reaching for? Well, some things that are hard to reach for or that I wouldn't choose to reach for. He wants to know the fellowship of suffering with Christ. How many of you push towards suffering? I don't. We avoid it. We cringe at suffering. We pull back from it. We don't want to hear about it. Um, Getting too close to each other's pain or pain in ourselves is something we tend to avoid. But here's Paul pushing toward what he's going to attain in Christ. And the first step is fellowship in the suffering. And the second step doesn't sound any cheerier than the first, at least to me. But being conformed to Christ's death. That he wants to feel the fellowship of Christ's suffering. He wants to be conformed to Christ's death. But what is the gain of that? that he can attain to resurrection from the dead. You know, Christ, when he was taken into the wilderness, that first, if you will, um, pattern of what a Lenten journey is, is Satan kept coming to Christ and saying, I've got a shortcut for you here, and there's a shortcut here, and there's a shortcut here. And each of the temptations related to a way of avoiding the cross, don't go to the cross, Bow down to me right now, and I'll show you the kingdoms of the world, and they are yours. But Christ didn't do it because there was no shortcut for him that would serve us. And he cared more about serving us 
than he cared about his own shortcut. And we, in the same way, sometimes want to take the shortcut. We don't really want the suffering. We don't want to be conformed to the death of Christ and to have our own spirits crucified with Christ so that we can live for him. We'd like to get to the happy part of the story quicker and not be in the wilderness. And that is natural. People that want to just um, suffer, I mean, there's a word for that, (laughs) you know. um, You know, a masochist. That's not healthy. But Paul realized it wasn't an empty suffering. It was a suffering to bring him into the confirmation of Christ, that he would be like Christ, and that he would know the joys that Christ has set before us. In the John passage, uh, the picture I see here in Mary's anointing, and, and let's be serious about this for a minute. This was an uncomfortable scene. Um, I have worked with some students that are Hasidic Jews at Empire State, and I've learned that when I meet most students, I put out my hand to shake their hand. But with a a male that is a Hasidic Jew that's coming to take classes for me, I don't do that because it's an insult to them. There's just a different kind of cultural interpretation about touch between men and women and between unmarried men and women. This scene would have been sensual, uncomfortable, not the norm, and almost inappropriate. So when Judas comes forward and says, don't let her do that, we, we see, you know, and John tells us here, he didn't really care about the money. He's thinking about it from his own personal, um, you know, take out of the money pot. But some people think he was also speaking to propriety. This isn't appropriate. Don't let her do that. And Jesus' answer, let her be. Like, excuse it this once, because she is so passionate right now. She's preparing me for burial. She's so passionate about that, that for a moment she's taken leave of what is socially appropriate, what is appropriate for a woman in this setting to be doing because she's so overwhelmed by what's coming. She is seeing both Christ as her Messiah and what he will do for her, but at the same time, she's experiencing a moment of what the suffering is going to be for him, that he must go through the wilderness to buy her salvation. And Mary can speak well of this, I mean, to speak... um, out of experience, because here at the table is Lazarus. She knows something of what it's like to lose and to gain. And yet Lazarus, being back, is also a difficulty for him and for the family. They're being hunted down because people are coming to Christ because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so there are people out to kill Lazarus. Can you imagine coming back from the dead only to be hunted down? to be killed. Um, there was a Monty Python skit about that once, and it, it, it made light of a serious thing. But, you know, people, the um, Pharisees kept hunting him down, and in that skit, Jesus kept coming on the scene to bring him back. So it was this like, okay, if you show forth the glory of God in your life, 
there are consequences for that. There are, um, there are things that are difficult about that. It's part of the wilderness. But there will be streams in the wilderness. She's experienced what it may mean that Christ is her Savior, and she's prophesying about it by preparing him for burial. She knows what that's going to mean. The end of the story is, we can't see the end of the story right now, but we know it's good. There's an old Polish folk tale, and it shows the fact that what we experience in good as good or bad right now, is based on whether it makes us comfortable and happy or makes us miserable, anxious, depressed, or unhappy. And so we go through life every day. Is this a good day? Is this a bad day? And it's based on what we're going through at that moment. It's not based on the end of the story. And so this folktale goes like this, that there was this poor, poor man. He lived in a little hovel, just a little shack. He had nothing except one beautiful white stallion. And it was such a beautiful thing. People would say to him, you know, you have nothing, but you have that horse, and nobody has a horse like that. And one day when he went out, the horse was gone, and his neighbors came around him. Oh, you poor man, you had one thing, and it's gone. Oh, this is horrible. And he's like, I don't know if it's good or bad. I can't see the end of the story. And they're like, what do you mean it's bad? You have one thing and you've lost it. Well, what happened is a few weeks later, that horse came back, brought with him a herd of wild horses. And the neighbors came around, ah, you were right. It wasn't bad. It was good. Because look at now you don't have just one horse. You have other horses. You can break them and sell them, and you're going to be okay financially. And he's like, I don't know if it's good or bad. I can't see the end of the story. Then his son, a few weeks later, was trying to break one of the wild horses and fell off the horse and was hurt badly. And his neighbors came around. We shouldn't have spoken so soon. It's really bad. We're sorry. We, we said it was good, but here it is bad. You know, your son is harmed now. You barely have money for medicine. He's like, I don't know if it's good or bad. I can't see the end of that story. And then a war broke out, and all the young men in the area were conscripted for service. But his son had a badly broken leg and didn't have to go to war. And the neighbors came back. Oh, it's a good thing. I'm sorry, we said it was bad, but it's good. And he's like, will you stop coming to my door? (laughs) Because you don't know if it's good, and you don't know if it's bad. You're just speaking about the experience that you're feeling today, but you can't see the end of the story. And the end of the story will be good, because the writer of the story is good. God is good. Regardless of what we feel on a day-to-day basis of stress, of issues in our life, of problems, God is good, and the end of the story will be good. The reason we don't always feel it right now is because we're not on the last page. We're in the middle of the book. As we um, close this time 
of looking at his word and the pictures of grace and of goodness and of future restoration that God has given us, I'd like us to just think for a minute about communion or the Eucharist or what do you call it here? Do you use all those terms sometimes? Okay, yeah, our church does too. Each one of those terms has a different little facet of what this meal is to us. But this meal is a hungry feast. It's a hungry feast. Have you ever come to the Eucharist or come to communion and left with your belly full? You get a small piece of bread and you dip it in juice or wine. It is a taste of what the feast will be like. It it, it looks toward the feast, but we're all going to leave hungry from this today. And we're all going to leave hungry from the word of God today too because we're only, only in the middle of the story and we can't feel or experience the whole, complete cosmic, personal, social, ecclesial restoration that God has in mind. We're going to leave hungry in many ways because the rest of the story is yet to be. But there will be streams in the desert and there will be laughter in our mouths and God is good and he's written a good end for us for each of us let's pray just a moment father we thank you that you give us encouragement from your word pictures of your grace pictures of what you plan for us and for those we love and for this world that there will be a renewal by your spirit. We pray that we would just grasp that, even a little bit of what the end of the story is, and that we won't listen to our own hearts speak doubt to us or darkness to us, and we won't listen to our neighbors or our friends or family that speak doubt or try to figure out if today's a good day or a bad day. We can't see the end of this story, but the end of the story is complete in you, and we long for that day, and we pray by your grace that we would just more and more feel um, your presence with us and your will and your guidance as you lead us toward that day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.